it, it's often really easy in life to miss the point, right? It doesn't matter if we're reading a passage out of the Bible, uh, just having a conversation with someone, it's really easy to miss the point. Take, for example, these examples. You can't see this first one very well, but someone has missed the point of a highlighter. Uh, this person uh, took their highlighter and highlighted every word on both pages of that book. You know, a highlighter is supposed to make one thing stand out, but if you highlight everything, maybe you've missed the point. The Crest Company may have missed the point. This uh, mouthwash product, I'm sure it's a fine product, but it says 24-hour protection used twice a day. You, I don't, you may have missed the point. Maybe I'm missing the point. I don't understand. This, uh, this restaurant has missed the point of a veggie burger, which we all know there is no point to a veggie burger. But if there was a point to a veggie burger, this, uh, you can uh, add bacon for one more dollar to your veggie burger. Uh, if there were a point, you just missed it. Uh, and then the last one, which just, just makes me scratch my head, but this company, this is the just wireless HDMI cable. Someone has missed a point somewhere. It's, it's really easy to miss the point. But fortunately for us, we're going to read one paragraph from the book of Galatians this morning, and it's pretty hard to miss the point. Because in these five verses that we're going to read this morning, Paul is going to use the word gospel four times and he's going to clearly allude to the word gospel another three or four times. So seven or eight times in five verses, he's going to mention the gospel. Apparently, we're not supposed to miss the point. What we're about to read is about the gospel. Let's read it together. You'll see what I mean. So this is Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 6 through 10, which read this way. Paul writes, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ, that's the gospel, for a different gospel, which is really not another gospel. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the gospel we preach to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the gospel you received, he is to be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. There's our passage this paragraph is definitely and obviously about the gospel. But Paul is also definitely and obviously upset. He's angry. He's shocked that there are, there are some people, there are some people in, around these churches in this region called Galatia that are tinkering with the gospel. 
They're changing it. And then there are people who are buying these changes. In fact, if 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 you really want to get a sense of just how angry Paul is, one good thing to do is compare the beginning of this letter to the beginning of Paul's other letters. Because all of Paul's letters, he begins this way. We saw some of this last week. Paul identifies himself from Paul, an apostle, and then he identifies who he's writing to, and then there's this introductory little message of various lengths, and that's what we saw last week. And then, in every other letter, Paul gives a word of of thanks. He says something like, I always thank God for you, the Father of my Lord Jesus Christ, when I remember you folks. Or, like he said to the Romans, Paul said, first of all, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Paul always gives thanks for what the gospel is doing in and around the people he is writing to, but not here. Right after his introductory remarks, right up here where we start today, in the very same place where a Greek word that means I give thanks, where it should go, Paul doesn't give any thanks. Paul, he has, there's this word that's, I know our word for amazed can be positive. We can be amazed in a positive way sometimes. That's not this word. This is a very negative word. I'm astounded I'm shocked in a negative way. So what is it that has wiped the thankfulness out of the way Paul feels about the gospel in Galatia? It's not that no one heard the gospel or understood the gospel or responded to the gospel. This morning as we we finish the introduction to Paul's letter, we're going to see that Paul is really upset that the gospel is being distorted. It's being tinkered with by people in these churches. So he's not thankful for what's happening with the gospel. So we're going to dive in and see what's got Paul so angry about distorting the gospel. But if the gospel can be distorted, that means the gospel can be defined. And here's one thing that I think is interesting about this section, right? This paragraph. Paul is very obviously angry at the gospel being changed, being tinkered with. It's the whole reason he writes this letter. It's being distorted. Paul wants to defend it, but Paul never defines defines what he's writing to defend in this letter. Isn't that interesting? That would be a huge failure on Paul's part, unless, unless Paul is so sure these people heard the gospel clearly from him when he was there. That's why he doesn't say, and here is the gospel. He does that other places. We know we don't have everything in our Bibles that Paul ever wrote. Maybe he left it written down. But for whatever reason, Paul knows they heard the pure, unadulterated gospel of grace from him not long before when he was there. 
the closest he comes to defining the gospel is right here where he talks of God calling them by the grace of Christ. For us, I think it's important that we define the gospel. Paul felt he didn't need to because they know what Paul said. But first, before we do anything else this morning, let's define the gospel. The word gospel, by the way, was not a churchy word. It was not a religious word. It was just a word that meant good news. Any kind of good news you received would have been called by this word. But, but when Paul starts to travel around and preach the message of salvation, justification by faith in Jesus Christ, that begins to get the nickname, the gospel, like the good news the bestest good news. And the reason the gospel is such good news is because the bad news is such bad news. For us to understand, we can't understand the good news unless we have a real grasp of the bad news. And Paul said, here's the bad news. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Another place he said, there's no one righteous, not even one. Another place he said, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Here's the bad news. The God of the universe does require righteousness for you to be okay with him. He does. The bad, that's, the bad news is you are not righteous, neither am I. We all fall short because we sin from the from the from the standard of perfection and righteousness that God requires. There's no one righteous, not even one. Whoever the, whoever the best, someone on earth is the person who has sinned the least. I don't know who he or she is, but they exist. That person's not righteous. Paul says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In, in the Bible, death is always a separation. Because of our sin, it leaves us eternally dead, separated from God forever and ever. That's, that's the bad news. But the good news, the good news, as Paul writes it in one place, is that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Another place, he said this, God made Him the one who, who did not know sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here's the good news. You were not righteous and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God sent his son to live a perfectly sinless life to deserve no punishment of his own. God sent him to death on a cross and, uh, and, and the beatings and the mockings that took place beforehand. And all of that that was happening was God was pouring out the punishment you deserve for your sin and I deserve for mine. And he became our sin. And then God punished our sin completely on him. And then the other half of the trade-off is this. We get to become the righteousness of God. Not someday if we make ourselves good enough. That ship has sailed. That's what when Paul talked about to the Romans, justification by faith. 
It means when we believe in Jesus Christ, the judge of the universe judges us as if we lived Jesus's life. That's the good news. And as Paul said, if you have been justified by faith, if you believe that when Jesus went to the cross, he died the death penalty you deserve in your place instead of you. You were being called. When you believe that, you were being called by the grace of Christ. It is 100% a gift if you are in good standing with God. It is grace which we defined last week as unearned favor, unmerited favor. God rescues us with a free gift we will never deserve. So if you believe in Jesus Christ, you've been redeemed by that price, you were called into that salvation in which you stand 100% by grace, you did nothing to earn it, you did nothing to help it, God did everything to rescue you from your sin. The only thing you brought to your salvation, to your rescue, is the sin that makes it necessary that you be rescued. That's the gospel. You were dead in your sin. God called you by his grace. You believed in the sacrifice of his son, and God gifted you with an alien righteousness that's not yours. Now that we know what the gospel is, now we're ready to talk about what distorting the gospel means. Paul is angry, in short, because adding things to the gospel distorts the gospel, the gospel of grace. There are some, there are There are some who are disturbing you. This is how we know there are actual people in and around these churches tinkering with the gospel. So their argument has to go something like this. I know Paul was here some time ago and taught you about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'm so glad Paul was here and told you that. That's very important. And I like Paul. Really, I do. But, it's like Paul brought you the starter kit for Christianity. He didn't tell you everything. He left some stuff out. There's stuff you'd better do or you cannot be justified before God. That's why we are here. And so we're here to tell you what you must do. And I got to tell you, it doesn't matter what those guys say next. They're false teachers. It doesn't matter what they say next. We can tell later in this book, circumcision is a big part of the thing that they add. And then there's another meeting where we can tell there's other stuff from the Old Testament law that, uh, that gets added. But it doesn't matter. Adding anything to the gospel of grace distorts the gospel. And as I mentioned last week, I would go so far as to say they were well-meaning when they did this. Just like today, people mean well. They are sincere. They think they're being loving when they add things to the gospel. 
And it always happens for the same reason. When we hear the gospel of grace, we start to have these questions. Wait a second. You're telling me, you're telling me someone can believe that Jesus went to the cross instead of them. You just have to believe that what Jesus did was enough. Then that person can go sin the following sin. Fill in the blank with whatever you want to fill it in with. They can go sin that sin. And they're still going to go to heaven when they die. Well, that can't be. And we can't spread that message. If we spread that message, we're, we're going to have sin coming out our ears around here. So we've got to add what needs added. We have to help the gospel control people's behavior. That's how it always starts. And there's always been this tendency in Christianity to do that. And when I say always, I mean always. Look at what Paul's, look at what's got Paul so bent out of shape. I'm astonished, I'm astounded that you are what? You're so quickly believing. It's like Paul saying, I was just there. We know this was within 20 years of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And within 20 years, people think the gospel needs amendments, corrections. It happens fast. And it's still happening. It's still really easy to feel like we need some rules, some expectations, some religious practices because we need to balance out this grace thing. I've heard this one. I've heard this one. If we're not careful, we can go too far in this grace thing. It will lead to license. People are going to go nuts. People will use the gospel as if it's their permission slip from God to sin all the sin they feel like sinning. So we have to add some things that people have to do before they can be considered to be real Christians. Before they can believe they are okay with God. I won't ask for a show of hands. But how many of us have thought those things? Okay, I'll show my hand. It's okay if, you, if you're struggling with that. It really is. This is a safe place. But here's the practical problem where that leads. There's a couple of them. But if God first, if God called you into this thing 100% by his grace, and you cannot read the New Testament without believing that is true. If God called you into a right relationship with him by a free gift of his grace... But the things you do after you enter into a relationship with him keep you there, then it ain't grace. I mean, it's just not. At the end of this, you'll be able to say, I did it. Or at least I helped. 
Either our salvation is 100% by grace or it's something else that ain't grace. There's merit. There's a badge. And if you're, if you're struggling with this, and I know some of us are, if you're thinking, yeah, but, but Matt, you, you can't really be saying someone just believes in Jesus Christ and then they can go sin this sin. And insert your own sin. If that's your struggle, I have an exercise that I'm 100% serious I want you to do. If you're struggling with that, there's no way we can just believe and then go sin. Sins like. Here's the exercise. Make the list. And I'm dead serious. Make the list of sins that there's no way people could sin and still consider themselves just before God. You know why that will be helpful? Because you'll find it is impossible to make the list. Or you will deceive yourself with a list. Here's what we will do. We will make a list of sins that I hate. We will make a list of sins that I can avoid. And then we will think, I'm good with God because look, I keep this list. But here's what you have to know about your list. No matter what list you make on your list, that ain't God's list. God has given us a list. If you want a list that says you can't be right with God if you, you can't be right with God unless you, that list is in here. And you know what? You can't keep it. You couldn't keep it before you came to know Jesus by faith. You can't keep it now. And here's the truth. The criticism against Grace, I don't even want to say this is my position. The criticism against Paul's position about salvation, justification by a free gift of God, not of works, nothing we do by faith alone. The criticism is you don't care about sin. You're downplaying the seriousness of sin. You know what the answer to that is? No, I'm not. You are. Legalism is what downplays the seriousness of sin. Because here's what it does. It makes a list of the bad ones. But it ignores some other ones that I don't think are all that bad. And that, my friend, denigrates the seriousness of sin. Because if you're not going to make the whole list that's God's list, you're telling God he doesn't know what sin is. And you do. Here's why we better believe in grace. Because if we don't, we are all lost. And we can deceive ourselves into thinking we're helping. We're good enough. We're okay. Because look at these sins I don't sin that those people do. But it doesn't hold a thimble full of water. Now, I do want you to hear me say, and this is as good a time as any, when someone comes to know Jesus Christ, they will change. They will grow. But who gets to decide 
how. Who gets to decide which sins they will quit and in which order and how quickly? If we're not really careful, we will have those lists. And then we will use things like shame and guilt and coercion and manipulation and condemnation to try and grow people into their faith. But we will really be trying to grow people into someone who looks, I don't know, like me. So Paul's upset because adding anything to the gospel distorts the gospel. And then Paul makes very clear that to distort the gospel is a desertion, amounts to deserting. But pay special attention to what Paul says we are deserting when we distort the gospel. Paul does not say when we add things to the gospel, we desert, we run off on, we become a traitor to the gospel, though that's true. It's not what Paul says. Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the gospel. This is extremely strong language. Paul says, when you add behavioral requirements to the gospel, you distort the God who gave the gospel. Paul wants his friends in Galatia to hear him say this, guys, please don't think I'm sore that you guys are abandoning me for a teacher you like better. No. You need to know you're not abandoning me. You're abandoning God. If you add behavioral requirements to the gospel. The reason we do this is because what we really want, as people who think about religious things or think about God or think about the hereafter, what we really want is a righteousness of our own. That's what we want. We want to look in the mirror and think, that guy's good enough. That woman has made it. But here's another list I'd like you to make. For how many things in the whole universe, for how many things does God need your help? The answer is none things. Right? Listen, your salvation is a thing God doesn't need your help for. You know that? He did it all. Who is responsible for your salvation? You or God? Well, the answer is obviously God. God did it all. So why do we want to add requirements? Because I want a righteousness that's mine. I want a righteousness of my own. In fact, I'm not sure you can be saved. I'm not sure you can be redeemed until you understand you can't have one compared to God, where it matters. That's why Paul said this to the Ephesians. For by grace, that's a free gift, 
You are saved through faith. And it's not anything you do. It's a gift of God. It's not from works so that no one can boast. Right? If we have anything to do with our salvation, we have something to say, look, here's what I did. Paul said you didn't do anything. And he said it over and over and over. I know I am beating this horse, but it's only because it ain't dead. This is why Paul says, my opponents, the false teachers that add behavioral requirements to the gospel, it's not another gospel. It's not a different gospel. There's not another gospel. It's no gospel at all. As soon as we add behavioral requirements, it's no longer good news because we will know in our hearts or we will doubt in our hearts, we will think in our, that's not me, I can't get there. And as soon as we have those lists, we will start to trust in the good things we have done, the bad things we've given up, and that's what we will trust in for our salvation instead of trusting in the only thing that will actually work that is actually effective. Adding behavioral requirements doesn't help. It doesn't matter how well-meaning the people are who give them. It enslaves. Now, it's very possible you're really uncomfortable with all of this. Maybe you are thinking, this is not at all how I was raised. This is not what my previous clergyman, pastor, whatever you called him, taught. It's not the way my old church worked. I get that. I know you might be uncomfortable right now. I just want you to know it's going to get worse. (laughs) Because listen to what Paul says next. Paul says, but even we, or if an angel from heaven should teach any kind of gospel, giant air quotes, different from the one that I preached to you when I was there, and I'll use a common modern vernacular, to hell with him. That's what he says. And if that shocks you, good, because what Paul said here shocked them. He just said, those people up there that are influential and they are wealthy and they are handsome and they have a full flowing head of hair and whatever else. Paul says they're not helping you. If there are people around believing their message, they are damning them. So I think and I hope and I, I assume God is going to damn them, the teachers. Now, when Paul says, if an angel from heaven says this, don't get sidetracked into thinking, well, would angels do this? Would angels go? Forget that stuff. All Paul is saying is, I don't care how good someone looks or seems. In fact, Paul says, even if we did this, Paul includes himself. Paul said, if I stop by sometime and contradict the first gospel I gave you, to hell with me. That's what he says. 
And then Paul's going to end this introductory paragraph by answering the, the argument that always goes against the person who preaches the gospel of grace. Of grace. And that is, well, it goes like this. I'm sure the false teachers were saying stuff like this. That Paul, you know why he tells people all they have to do is believe in Jesus Christ and they're justified before God forever and ever and ever, regardless of their behavior. You know why Paul tells people that? Because he is just telling people what they want to hear. And so Paul says this, am I now trying to gain the approval of people or of God? Am I trying to please people with this message of grace? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. Listen, Paul's message of grace did not win him lots of friends. <laughs> Do you know that? Paul's message of grace constantly got him imprisoned, flogged. Uh, there was an attempted execution that failed. He was stoned so badly they thought he was dead, threw him outside the city, but apparently they were a couple of rocks short and he survived. Then he got executed for grace. I'm not trying to ingratiate myself to people by telling you about grace. If I were trying to ingratiate myself to people, I would stand up here and tell the women of the church that I'm the one that starts those little heaters in the bathrooms when it's cold here. That would be ingratiating myself to people. But I won't say that. In fact, there is nothing that will make religiously minded people more angry than this. It's not a people-pleasing message because, again, what do we all want? A righteousness of our own. It feels better to feel better. We want to feel better. The gospel of grace is not a people-pleasing message. Legalism actually is. You know what people want? Tell me the rules. Tell me what I need to do. Tell me what day to show up. Tell me when to stand up, sit down. Tell me what to say. Tell me where to go. Tell me what not to do so that I can say, did it. That's what we want. Legalism tells people, here's how you obtain righteousness. Grace tells people, you can't obtain righteousness. You couldn't before you were saved. You couldn't after you were saved. Legalism tells you, do these things and you are better than the folks that go to that church down the street or don't go at all. Grace tells you, you are not like significantly better than the prostitute, the addict, or the abortion provider. You're not. They might be this righteous. Man, you might be this righteous. God is infinite righteous. It, we're splitting hairs. So Paul says, I just told some very wealthy and influential men that they should go to hell forever. You think I'm still trying to please people? 
If so, I'm not doing a very good job. One more place Paul talked about the gospel as we land the plane. The beginning of the book of Romans, Paul says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Right? Not because everyone likes it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. It's God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. Here's the reality of the end of your life. You are going to stand before God and you are going to sense and feel his awesome, infinite power. The gospel of grace, a free gift from him, is the only way God's power can be pointed at you in a way where you are saved rather than condemned. Nothing else can shield us from that power. Certainly nothing we can do. And the gospel is a message of grace from beginning to end. God gifts a declaration of perfection on those who believe in Jesus Christ. That's the only gospel there is. To add anything, is it? In anything to it is to change it into something else. It is to desert the one who saved us. And when we add behavioral requirements, listen, even good ones, if that, if that is such a thing, even ones that seem reasonable, we will make people who should despair celebrate, and we will make people who should celebrate despair. You know that? When we add behavioral requirements to the gospel, when we make our list, and those lists, those lists can be written into the bylaws of churches or they can just be understood. And then here's what will happen. There will be other people who are more or less like us. They are good, hardworking, conservative, red-blooded American people who will understand our moral lists and celebrate that they are okay with God when they are lost. And on the other hand, we will have people who have been through it. We'll have people who have had things done to them and who have done things to themselves who would, that would make you blush and shudder and cry. And they will look at our list and think there is no way I could get myself there. And they will despair Because our lists don't help people come to know God. They keep people from knowing God. The God of grace. The God who became our sin. That we might become his righteousness. As a free gift. Let's pray. Our Father, I know that last example is true. 
I know there are people who look at the moral list and think, I could not do that. I don't even want to do that. I could never get there. I know that's true because it happened to me. And you saved me anyway by helping me understand your grace. God, make us a people of grace. Make us a gracious people. Not people who don't care about sin and what is wrong. May it never be. But people who understand you save sinners. And you justify us completely by faith in Jesus Christ. God, help those of us uh, and those around us who should realize we're in trouble before you realize it. And help others who are despairing because of their moral position just understand that they would just reach out to the one who can save. They can be saved because it's a free gift through Christ Jesus who did it all. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.